Welcome, fellow humans. Welcome. Andrew Wilson here, local restaurant industry professional. Welcome to Sacramento RIP, a home for real stories about Sacramento. The fact that you're here tells me something about you. And that is that you have amazing karma. Just mind-blowingly good. I can draw an inference from this as well. You're here. You have great karma. I already like you. People I like, people like you, are the ones who make this show possible. It is my sincere hope that you enjoy today's conversation. (laughs) Good to be here. Uh. All right. Hey, guys. Man. Happy 2021. It's great to see you both. Yeah, now that it's almost over. Thanks. Yep. <laughs> Here we are in the Harmeyer Winery. Welcome. Right. Welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be back here. I haven't been here in a while, so yeah. it's great. Uh, also, just kind of ask people to introduce themselves um, at the beginning. Sure. I'm, I'm Craig Harmeyer. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, uh, started this uh, th- project with my son, Alex. Hi, that's that's me. I'm Alex Armeyer. We have identical voices. We are literally carbon copies of each other. We, so we this are going to yes. be interesting. No, both of your beards. I got to say, looking looking sharp these days. <laughs> it's the it's the beard oil. <laughs> <laughs> Man, secrets the secrets of uh, beard beard tending. That's good. So yeah, and Alex, uh, you're Alex. Yeah, I am. I'm Alex Armeyer. Um Sweet. You know, Dad and I. Started making wine together 2008. Uh, he had been making wine much earlier in, in early 90s, um, kind of ironically in the same building we ended up moving into. Um, but I got my start in 2008, <clears throat> just after high school. Kind of interesting going going into the wine biz at age 17. But um, it's been it's been my life. It's been interesting. Um, well, that's actually old uh, school. The Europeans have been doing that way for thousands of years, totally, actually. So yeah, um, yeah. now it's Probably good. And you, in terms of fermentation, beer as well for you? Yeah, uh, a little bit here and there. I did work at a brewery here in Sacramento uh, for probably three years, three and a half years, but um, brewing beer on my own. I've done homebrew here and there, um, but most of most of my experience with beer is more in, in sales and working behind the bar. Sweet. I find brewing beer to be a little bit more strenuous. It's sort of like harvest uh, 365 days out of the year. Oh, just that stress. It's, um, it's a lot of work. Definitely appreciate guys who can do that. But I think for me, I, I enjoy, <clears throat> I enjoy the pace of winemaking, um, a bit more personally. Um, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And just to where we are in the building, uh, Craig, if you could speak just, yeah, iconic building on some level, like the Sacramento terroir. Uh, sure. this is probably one of the places where that, uh, first happened and then has been talked about most. So here in Cordy brothers, probably, sure, yeah. but, uh, no, that would be great. Yeah, uh, just this place. Yeah. There's some, uh, there's definitely some history here. Charles Myers operated Harbor winery here starting in 1968 as, uh, I think he was making wine just as a home winemaker. And then in 1972, when he purchased the building, he bonded the space, so it became a uh, you know a, a type two uh, commercial winery in 1972. And it's his last vintage was 04. I came along in the 90s. <clears throat> um, Mr. Daryl Cordy, you know, was a close friend 
of Mr. Myers, and I think he kind of maybe pushed him a little bit into the direction of making commercial wine because he was so impressed with his work. And, um, yeah, so he made several vintages here. And, um, you know, what's been going on for decades uh, is that um, there are uh, vignerons and winemakers and just wine people in general come from all over the world uh, to Sacramento mainly to visit Mr. Cordy. Uh, consequently, you know, a lot of people have, have been through this, this humble little spot here in the industrial section of West Sacramento. Um, you know, they used to have big parties out back. Joe Heights used to come through here. Others, Narcy David, um, who's a Bay Area guy for the, all you youngsters who too young to, to know that kind of history. Um, anyway, so yeah, there's quite a, quite a bit of history here. And there's a connection to Alice Waters as well. Uh, Charles's Harbor Wine Rafe, the, fi- the label for the final decade or decade and a half was a, uh, a print made by uh, Goins, who also, uh, you know, has done the artwork for Chez Penny. So there's a lot of um, food and wine history uh, in, in this little building. I love it. And just uh, for wine people, uh, just, and I don't, don't even know this actually, uh, case production uh, for Harmeyer Cellars, uh, maybe this year, last year, just kind of where you're, where you're at now and where you might want to be in a couple of years. On average, we're going to be about 2,000 cases. You know, in 2019, we were at 2,000. 2020, we were all geared up to make the jump to 3,000 cases. And then, uh, you know, COVID happened and the lots of uncertainty and sitting on lots of inventory. So we backed off quite a bit in 2020. And unfortunately, that was the wrong call. Um, so consequently, we we're pretty much sold out of everything. And uh, luckily, we will we'll be at about 3000 cases for 2021. And so and the wines are looking great. So we, you know, are anxious to get those you know, um, awesome out there. But yeah. of course this is a, this is a slow process. So it'll be a little while before that stuff is in bottle. Yeah. A but, little, a little lag, a little lag time. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, we're, but things are looking great right now. So will you guys speak to vintage, uh, 2021? Well, you just saw, cause I mean, also you're just finishing harvest, right? We just <coughs> looked at some Riesling that's still in, uh, yeah. So our last, our last pick was two weeks ago, Riesling from the coast. That's, that's fermenting right now. It's at about zero bricks. We're probably going to press, Pretty soon here. Uh, the 2021 vintage, uh, definitely lower yields. We're seeing anywhere from 30 to 50% down from last year. And 20 was off, a little, was off a little bit as well. So there are some wines that we didn't even get to make because, um, you know, there's a finite amount of, you know, the vineyard is only so big. And if it's only producing 50%, like for instance, the fruit that we get from Matthew Rorick in Calaveras, uh, which makes some of our best wines, uh, the Chenin Blanc, we didn't get any at all this year uh, due to the drought. Is that Rorick Heritage Vineyard? Yeah, right, Rorick Heritage Vineyard. And um, we got half as much of the Zinfandel that we normally get Fuck. from yeah. him. So there's that. I like that, Zen. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's a drag. But fortunately, our driver wines that we have, we do the most volume of those are from much larger vineyards that big wineries pull from. Uh, so we're able to pretty much maintain even our big, 
lots are are small in comparison. So we were actually able to double our production on on those wines, which is more where we want to be in terms of volume. So that, that makes sense. Uh, just to talk about one special vineyard, uh, Crushy. Is that? Did you get any Crushy? Yes, actually, we were able to increase production on that. Um, but that's, that's be- awesome. But that's because we uh, a couple of years ago. Um, top worked. They have about uh, almost two acres of Chardonnay, and we top worked it to uh, Shannon with cuttings from the adjacent uh, block that we were, you know, have been sourcing some for from uh, for quite some time. And that's that's exciting, irrespective of um, uh, you know the drought, <clears throat> because uh, that again, that's a that's another one of our Shannon Blancs that uh, I think is definitely unique and also consistently delicious and how old are the vines planted in 81 okay um by gerald Cresci, and they're naturally low yielding mm-hmm. um it's a no spray no till vineyard and very little work is done in the vineyard the weeds are getting a little bit out of control which we're kind of battling doing battle with right now but um it's just very compelling soils i i don't think that i think the most folks who think of lodi you know, think of deep sand, um, but this is more on the east end, pushing up closer to the foothills. It's a little hilly there, but um, the soils are very complex and very austere. It's a very warm site, um, and so we see the vineyard yields about in a normal year, which normal years don't really seem to exist anymore, uh, about two tons to the acre. So we now have about almost two and a half acres in that vineyard. So um, instead of getting half an acre, we were able to, you know, get two and a half acres. Um, Sweet. I'm excited yep. about that. Yep. Uh, I need to fuck with someone actually quickly. Uh, someone who's a wine professional in town who can be a little douchey and snobby about it. Uh, also, he knows a lot. Uh, he told me a year, like, he, I think he was just trying to fuck with me, but he told me he didn't think vintage mattered anymore in California. And it's just what you just said kind of made me think that maybe you don't agree with that. Could you, uh, could you guys talk? Both of you talked about that. Like, Vert's Vineyard is very interesting as well. Like, I don't know if you're mm-hmm. still focusing and really doing the the Riesling, Alex. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I don't I don't see that uh, that wine leaving our lineup anytime soon. Good. Uh, oh, I saw it at a uh, good good news. Oh, good, good news. news yeah. Wine. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Vert's there actually, which made me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out Bennett Cross. Um, we're we're definitely keeping that one. I mean, if as long as we can get our hands on it, which I'm confident we confident we will. Uh, I I do. I I notice most of the most of the variation for for when I when I make that that wine has been just from um, changing up winemaking protocol. But the past the past three years, I've done the same on on skins fermentation. So. Um, Variation per year for sure. There, there is, there is definitely a difference. Uh, I, I don't know if you could, you could say that about everything. I mean, maybe, maybe in conventionally farmed fruit. Um, I think no. I it, think it he was, be. he was fucking with me. This is Diego. You guys met Diego. Diego ah, okay. fucks with people sometimes. Oh. He was, he was also. We were having a good time, and he was just messing with me too. But mm. that, that uh, yeah, made yeah. me irritated when he said that vintage didn't matter anymore in California. And it, I understand what he's talking about. And I think compared to Europe, that's probably true. Um, but also for the wines that are made in the vineyard, like vintage always matters. Like vintage part terroir. Like give me mm. a break. So, for sure. For sure. So yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I mean chemistry, you know, can vary wildly. You know, and that's going to have an effect on, on the vintage. 
And of course, it's if you're going to compare vintages, it's important to you know do things pretty consistently in the cellar because so many things can influence the the profile of the wine. But I would say that that vintage definitely matters, uh, at least on the scale that we're making wine. You know, we work anywhere from half a ton lots to 20 ton lots, but they're, they're mostly around two or three tons. And, um, again, like with the drought, like like this, this year with, with yields being so low, there's just such concentration. Um, I think we're seeing better, you know, lower pHs, which is going to affect the way the wines turn out. You know, so so again, like for, for guys like us that don't correct chemistry, um, you know, the, the balance between, sugars and acid and and other elements are gonna are gonna vary and and that's gonna show itself in the in the in the finished wine you know and and unless you're trying to massage a wine into having consistency vintage to vintage which is what a lot of larger wineries and even some smaller wineries do as well you know if your wine is on the store shelf and that's where people buy it you know your average consumer uh, wine consumer is going to want that consistency. They're going to want to get 100%. the same. Yeah. You know, yes. that's what they're going to want. And like I've been saying for a long time, which some people kind of get the wrong idea, I think of what I'm saying is that, you know, we don't make wine for consumers. You know, because consumers uh, don't have faces or names or responsibilities yep. or privileges you know, and and if they're consumers, then that makes your product a commodity on some level, which right. I don't agree with. Right, like wine so, at the level you guys make it, talking about it as a commodity, that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, so we we make wines for people who are going to enjoy these wines, you know, and um, those people, I think, by and large, are going to pay a little bit more attention and and not mind vintage variation. Mm-hmm. I look at a sometimes I like to think of buying a bottle of wine as. Um, like buying a buying a short story at a bookstore, you know, um, you can get something by the by the same say writer or producer, right? But if it's the same short story over and over again, it kind of gets, you know, that you're, is you're very move, concise way of uh, getting that point across. I like it. You're going to move on to a you're going unless you're a total creature of habit like me. I like a burger. If I go to a restaurant, I'm always going to get a burger. But at least then the burger is different mm-hmm. every time. I'm oh, totally. Go same restaurant day in day out to get the same burger that. And then Sherlock Holmes, right? They're all short stories. They're all relatively similar, but then they're not. I mean, they're they're not the same. Like you get different, all the different weirdness. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, it's great. Sweet. Uh, One thing too, I've been doing more art lately, um, and I know both of you do art. Like Craig, right? BFA and uh, masters, and then Alex. I know you do woodworking. I was curious how you think. uh, I don't know what strengths you bring to both of those things that kind of maybe reinforce each other Mm -hmm. or weaknesses. I don't know. Yeah, I <clears throat> I guess what I should say first cuz I can uh I I have a tendency to uh rub people the wrong way, my friends in the wine business. Uh <laughs> nothing wrong with that. So many so many guys who who make wine and make brilliant wines for that matter, uh sometimes refer to themselves as artists and I'm like uh, hold on here. Uh, hey, buddy. Uh, you know, <laughs> maybe you should do this in a vacuum and not have any sales and then stick with it. Have us, you know, and then come back to me and tell me you're an artist. You know, it's just, I'm sorry. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
you know, I think people just try to be complimentary when they say things like that. Like art is somehow elevated above other things that we use our imagination and our hands to make. So it's a nice compliment, but they're not analogous, you know. Um, I mean, you, you can't talk, preach day and night about how your wines are, uh, how your hands off winemaking, you're expressing the vineyard and then turn around and say you're an artist. Because artists don't express the paint, they express their emotions through the paint. So maybe if you're Maybe if you're more van de effort than van de terroir, then yeah, then maybe you are an artist. And then I guess maybe it also just depends on your definition of art. You know, uh, like the ancient Greeks, they, uh, <clears throat> you know, they didn't have the same, the thing that we consider art today didn't exist for them back there. Everything was craft, right? Um, but then on the other, you know, so... You're thinking like in a Heideggerian sense, you know, that art is just like, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, uh, an opening where truth happens. Well, yeah, then then maybe winemakers are artists if if the wine is is itself and is uh, doing what it does in the way that it does it. If it is as it is, then maybe you are an artist. Um, but in the sense that you know, you're expressing yourself through winemaking. Um, or if you're expressing, like I said, the vineyard through winemaking, then then you're definitely not an artist. You know, you're you're just making sure things don't get screwed up. You're expressing the, uh, you know, you're you're you get your hand out of it. You don't. Interesting. You know, you don't you don't want you don't want your your audience, the people who are drinking your wine, to. It's less about you. It's more about vi- about the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Wine is unique in this way too, because I think yeah, making beer, making like mixing scotch, like master scotch uh, blenders, like all of those things. Like yeah, maybe champagne houses, like all the mixing, you know, the palates and the pouring mm-hmm. and the the balancing to the house style or whatever. No, I think that is different than than making making wine than wine making when you do let the wine make itself in the vineyard basically and then like you said just not yeah, i think it's more i think it's more interesting myself i mean i get tired of myself you mm-hmm. know i don't want to it's not about me mm-hmm. you know i i want the wines to be as um durable ageable delicious balanced as possible but it's ultimately you know it's not about it's not about me mm-hmm. uh, i want i want to make these things and have people enjoy them and i want to enjoy them um but yeah, I, I think that like I equate to, I, I equate uh, you know like per, for instance producing something else like, like if you're a chef or a brewer, you know you develop recipes, you use your imagination and creativity to, to develop recipes, but ultimately you're gonna, you know you're gonna really rely on rely on those recipes. Yep. And I think that winemaking is more like well it is farming. It's I was gonna say it's like farming. It is farming. It's more like how do we how do we grow the best tomato? How do we grow the best bottle of wine? I, you know, I, that, that's kind of the way the way that I look at it. So you know, <clears throat> art. Um, yeah, I approach winemaking totally differently than I than I well, approach well, painting. Well, something you touched on before about the art is doing it for years and years and years and not selling anything and getting no recognition, like no ability to signal, like no one no one cares, right? Like yeah. when, like that. Like in some way, that is. I I do like that. I mean, in there's terms an of something of, you learned from the art and brought that to winemaking because yeah. that's really important to bring to anything. I think the ocean. I mean the the wine winemaking uh, wine you know vinification wine is uh, the wine business is a, is a gigantic business and. Um, whether you call it art or not, you know people 
pay money for it. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, when you graduate, for instance, you know, maybe UC Davis in viticulture and enology or, or Fresno or, or any kind of academic thing, you know, it, the, this, you know, the, um, the graduation uh, speech is not, you guys better be ready um, for a lifetime of waiting tables. You know, that's what they said at my graduation speech when I got my BFA. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's acknowledged in the, in the industry that there is no market, basically. You'll be incredibly lucky to do anything to support yourself in fine arts. It's just the way that it is. That's yeah. just, that's I studied English. I didn't graduate, but yeah, I, I did all the, all the work basically for an English degree. So, I mean, at least then I, it helped me learn how to write because I, I, that, that's helpful. But, sure, yeah, yeah. But any, any art is helpful. But woodworking, Alex, like uh, tie-overs, like art, not art. <laughs> well, it can't, yeah. I mean, it definitely, it, it, it definitely can be. My, you know, my experience in woodworking is, isn't, isn't all that extensive, but um, I've essentially found an idea to make musical instruments in some way. Like there's, there's several bands that use instruments from, um, you know, eighth, ninth century, and there's no way of, of buying them anymore. And mm-hmm. having them made for you by an artisan would cost thousands of dollars. Thousands. So I figured let's try doing it myself. And in that way, I don't, I don't really consider myself an artist. That's again, how, you know, uh, my dad had mentioned ancient Greeks considered it craft. It is craft. It's, it's in my mind, I'm not an artist. Um, I make things, and I think since I, since there were no <clears throat> there were no instructions on how to make these instruments, I sort of just looked at pictures, kind of thought how it might come together, and you know tried tried my best to, uh, nice. to make it happen. So I think YouTube that, rabbit holes or no? Uh, no, definitely no? not. I mean, even if back when I was making the uh, making a tall harpa or a bowed lyre, there there was no information online. Nice, uh, maybe. So, so you chose to do it the hard way, though. I just basically. yeah um, saw something, saw a piece of wood, and I went, "Hey, this log looks like it could be a bowed lyre." And I went at, went about carving it. And so I think that that translates to winemaking in the terms of problem solving, um, <clears throat> create yep. creating yep. things kind of kind of uh, allows you to have the mindset of maybe f- recognizing a problem and fixing it. Um, or working around a problem, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, my mind works more in the how does something work? How can I make it better? And when it breaks, how can I fix it? Um, not necessarily the creative side of things. Although you need creativity, you have you to do, have a yeah. pretty creative mind to 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 noodle that through. Right, right. Which which you know that more of that <clears throat> responsibility falls on your shoulders. Um, I'd like to think that mine is more fixing shit, but. Oh no, no, you <laughs> it's a team effort, I can Oh I, I can know. Tell you. I know. It's definitely a team effort. Definitely. That's no, it's awesome. I love it. Um we so we talked about uh we mentioned uh uh good news, right? That wine bar. And also we can tie this tie this I want to tie this into that Comstock article uh that you mm-hmm. uh you were in uh recently. Um right. I'll read the last line, but there's three uh, places uh, for natural wine that are mentioned in that Comstock article. Would you guys, I'm, I mm-hmm. mean, I think you know yep. more about them than I do. I haven't been out much, but I mean, they're, yeah, that's right up your alley if you could just speak on those three places because I've heard great things about all of them. Sure. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're all pretty different from each other, which is great. Um, there's some crossover, of course, in some of the wines that are offered because that's just, you know, 
all three of them um, have a definite interest in in um, wines that are made in in this region, at least West Coast. So that's that's gr- that's great. So there's definitely going to be some crossover. Um, uh, but they all have their own vibe, um, and uh, I just think it's great to see. Um, but in the article, uh, Rochambeau, uh, Nico wine in the ice blocks, and then uh, yeah, and then when the article was written, I don't think uh, it is good news, right? I good news, yeah, that, yeah. That's I don't there. think they were open. But I went in there and ate the other day, and it was delicious. Yeah, for sure. But I haven't been to Rochambeau. I'm a little ashamed by that. But oh. uh, <laughs> I know, right? No, I I know. Alex, you should have seen the look <laughs> on Alex's face right there. It's like Antichrist. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, they've been. I think they've been open for like almost a year. Rough, push, roughly they pushing, have. pushing a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I just, we had, um, uh, I mean, I enjoy it a lot, um, but it was kind of interesting to see the reaction of our, um, the folks who sell wine for us in Illinois and on the East Coast. Uh, one of the owners is um, um, this guy who is from Lebanon but raised in Paris and now lives in Chicago, and so to get uh, someone's opinion from who's been around a little bit, you know, we we took them there um, after our vineyard visits, and you know, his reaction was like, "Oh my God, this this place is amazing. We don't even have anything like this in Chicago." Of course, New York has places like that, but he was so impressed with it. You know, he was like, "Wow, I had no idea that the, you know Sacramento was so was so great like this." That makes me happy to hear. Yeah, and I was like, "Wow, that's uh, I'm I'm glad you dig it because uh, you know I I it's it's very good to see this sort of thing happening." Yeah, I mean, at, at the time that was you know Nico Wine was just I think at that point when they were in town a thought <clears throat> it was um they, they were just getting started on 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 getting that that location uh, and when Rochambeau first opened I mean. It was amazing to me. <laughs> there was there was one other wine bar in town years ago that kind of had at least a decent list. Um, and, of course, ownership changed, and it became just, you know, mass-produced kind of, kind yep, of bullcrap wine. Yep, 100%. You know, you know where I'm talking about, I I'm pretty sure. I imagine. Is it close to Mulvaney's? I'm pretty sure it is, yeah, yes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, but I think and I know which one you're talking about. So I hung out at that place a lot. I drank oh, a lot, yeah. bought a yeah, lot of wine, too. drank yeah, a lot yeah. of wine there. I, like a I, lot of French wine that was yep. delicious. I spent quite a bit of time there. Too. Dagano. Like, that was the only place. That was the first time I had Dagano. Did you Dagano? Um, like, wines there. Uh, yeah, that was yeah, the first yeah. time I ever had it. Two of my yeah. friends were in the kitchen pretty much daily. That was that was great. When, when your friends are in the kitchen yeah. and you know the guy behind the bar... That's when uh, yeah, and there's, is, and, there's Sauvign- and there's Sauvignon on the list. <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. No, this is great. No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, oh, no, no, but no, uh, but that I, that was great. I love. No, that was uh, man. I spent a lot of money there. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good wines. Is, it's kind of how kind of how it became when when Rochambeau first opened, and it hadn't quite been discovered um, by by most people. I think I think when when they first opened, it was more people who generally enjoyed wine and good food flocked to it and and now we're starting to see people discovering it and maybe branching out a little bit mm-hmm. um, but when they first opened man it was it was before we spent a lot of dollar at urban roots brewing on the way home and then it became oh we're going to rochambeau um just because you know we've had enough beer 
Because um, wine. Because, yes. Because wine. Yeah. I mean, we, I want we're, we're in something weird. We should. We should. Probably... Although we're in Urban Rouge probably once a week. Oh sure. sure. Yep. I mean, look at your hoodie. You're wearing their hoodie right now. I mean. Yeah. No. <laughs> and I mean, you're still. Is your wine still on tap there? At I, Urban Roots, I believe they're no, they ran they out. Just they ran out. Recently. We're yeah. we're working on that. That's a great. Uh, that's one of the best degree. local wine deals in town. Is your wine on tap at Urban Roots when they have it? Yeah. So, yeah. and then yeah. One Speed too, obviously. I believe, right? Still, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yep. The no. Shannon is still. I have I have drunk a lot of that there. Yep. Yeah. Still the house white. Don't see that going anywhere. Uh, uh, I hope not. No, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, a, it goes great with the food there too, especially the vegetarian stuff. It's just really vegetarian friendly. Shannon. I would like to get back uh, climate change. Just see what you guys think. Uh, what you what you saw the last years, like in terms of that, and how I think it's gonna get really bad. I'm kind of a doomer on this on this, you know, uh, on climate stuff. But uh, I'm but, less concerned about it as it relates to to wine. Okay, I'm more concerned about it in terms of just our existence on this on this planet. Yeah, that's kind of where I come down on it as well. Uh, I mean, I've been. Uh, I've been kind of stressing out about this for at least 20 years. Uh, it's too bad there's so few of us so late to the party. Um, but wine, uh, we're, people are just going to have to shift, we, find out which varieties grow better. I think that there's great... Well, see, I come from the perspective of um, making white wine pr- pr- uh, primarily in a hot region. So I'm kind of accustomed to um, thinking in that way. And, you know, an aha moment for me years ago is that some white varieties, A, I think white varieties, varieties are more portable. Um, hmm. Yeah. And also that there are a lot of white varieties that do equally well in cool climates and in, and in warm climates, wet climates and dry climates and all combinations. And I think that, I believe that Shannon is one of those varieties that, that you can make very high quality, compelling wines with, irrespective of where they're grown. Of course, some sites are better than others, but I think that it's a I think it's a great variety that does well in the cold and in the heat. Um, <clears throat> and there are other white varieties that I'd like to, you know, on lower down on the list um, uh, in terms of what's going to be, you know, how think soon things are going to be done. You know, definitely planting our own vineyard or vineyards, and I definitely would focus on Shannon, but I wouldn't, I think that there would ultimately there'll be field blends, you know, white, white, we'll have other varieties in there. Um, Spain, maybe just because it's hotter, Spanish, drier climate. Some Spanish or what varieties. Are you thinking? French, sure. I mean the usual. Yeah, I, th- I think, I'm not sure. I mean, f- ferment, um, I think is interesting. Yeah. It's high, high acid that might do well, her, well here there, you know, some people are playing with it. Um, Assyrtico, um, as well, I think might have some potential here. Um, yeah, Sauvignon, I don't know if it'll work well here, but I definitely want to, want to try that as well. Nice. B- both parents of Shannon, I think I would like to try. So, uh, Friolano, um, as well. I would like to try. Anyway, I think that the field blend of the two. Yeah, no, that would be fun. Yeah. So I think there's a, you know, there's, there's a, I'm 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 less worried about how well what kind of wines we we can we can make and and more concerned with the global um, system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting it's getting and scarier there, and scarier. Also, there, you know, there will be some regions where it's just not possible, uh, especially if you're, you know, if if you're, I don't know. It's 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 weird. 
like there's this one site we work with on the foothills. Um, there's no water on the property. There's no well whatsoever. Um, and it was established, you know, as a dry farmed vineyard. And these 50-year-old vines still just crank out amazing fruit. So... The vines can, and then the roots can go down 100, 150 feet, right? And some of these, some of these wines, and in, in those conditions, like I think I've read that it sounds. Yeah, well, it's important to establish the vineyard as a dry farm vineyard. So they go deep early. Yeah. So if you if if you are irrigating, you know, you're not really going to get those roots. You, you, it's, it's, you know, I don't even, I don't even know if it's really possible to transition an irrigated vineyard into a dry farm vineyard under those circumstances in extreme heat and drought. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the plant will even do it. Yeah. I think the elephant in the room is Napa in this regard we're talking about. Cause I mean, that is uh, some of the most expensive wine real estate in the world outside of yeah. France probably. And, uh, yeah, they, man, next 10 years, like Napa, I don't, I don't know what they're going to yeah. do if we keep seeing these, these yeah, swings. And, yeah. And you know, Burgundy is very concerned about it. Yeah. And they've already identified some variety, some grape varieties uh, that they want to try out. Um, so shit, if Burgundy's moving away from fucking sacrilege, yeah. I can't even, man, <laughs> yeah. it just gives me the chills just hearing you say that. Like, yeah, yeah so, no, that's man. It's serious. It's serious. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, Jesus. Alex, uh, climate change, wine, uh, what you would like to plant in the uh, these some future Harmeyer vineyards, the Harmeyer Heritage vineyards. Uh, what are they going to be uh, planted? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I'm 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 kind of into the Riesling thing. Um, I would like to try that. I don't know how. Uh, I'm not I'm not exactly sure viniculture wise how how well it would do. You know, outside um, of river yeah. valleys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. Well, I mean, the work. stuff we work with from, from San Benito, that, that was. I'd, I've uh, never been to that vineyard. Alex, can you tell me just a little bit about, mm. I mean, why does reason work there? Because the worst, the worst is delicious. I mean, it is, it's sure, got sure. great extraction. Like there's minerality there for sure. Acid, like all of it, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's for me, I, I mean, I've only worked with, Personally, when it comes to Riesling, I've only worked with two other vineyards uh, that were completely different. They were commercially farmed. Um, definitely not, you know, not not as old school as this. So I think it just it makes a much more uh, interesting wine. I mean, it is very, very consistent, I think, year by year. At least, you know, like I was kind of alluding to earlier when I, I only started full skin contact with it in 19, um, but I haven't seen a whole lot of you know, super big differences year by year. I mean, I'm doing the same process um, uh, for the past three years and haven't really noticed too much of a change. It's like, um, a, is it from, a microclimate? Is it pretty protected? Yields. Is that it, why it seems it, to be so consistent? I, I, th- I think that's part of it. Um, and yeah, it is definitely very well protected. I mean, it's, 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 it's dry farmed originally furrow irrigated, but it was, I mean, basically established the same way as say the iris. Um, and it's own rooted, right? Like it is. Yeah. It's, yeah, so yeah. They're, just, they're they're little bush vines, yeah. They're they're um, just their own little plant. They're definitely um, definitely well established by now. Um, but I don't. I'm not. I mean, see, looking future wise, like where we're going to plant a vineyard, I have no idea. <laughs> um, and where we do plant, I'm sure, Shannon Riesling, Assyrtico, whatever other varieties we may we may go for. 
Um, I just wonder how Riesling would do in a much colder, higher elevation environment rather than, you know, someplace that's sort of hidden, hidden, nestled in the hills, covered in fog all the time. But yeah, uh, no, some German cuttings probably then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alsatian. That'd be, yes, that'd be cool. But yeah, I don't know. Well, the Wirtz Vineyard was, uh, as Alex mentioned, was, um, you know, their little bush vines, 10 by 10 spacing, unrooted, furrow irrigated um, until they were established. Uh, and it's actually a pretty warm, a pretty warm site. Uh, Gabalon Mountains, but it's the, it's not the coastal range. So it's on the other side of Salinas. So it actually is a pretty, that's a pretty warm site as well. So, you know, and the Wirtz Riesling is um, hardly, I, I, you know, I've had several wines um, produced from that, from that vineyard um, over the years, and I can't say that it's terribly reminiscent of what folks are used to from the old world. I agree. Yep. So, and this is why, you know, I have a, uh, a friend who uh, used to work with that fruit, and, and he didn't even call it Riesling. He called it California white wine. And I think I like the idea of that. You know, I don't know how well that worked in terms of selling the wine since we're so stuck on varieties, grape varieties here. Um, but, I, but I appreciate that because although it's Riesling, it, it doesn't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily peg it as a Riesling if you're blinded on it. I mean, I've I've had someone blind me on another Wirtz Riesling. I think it was I think it was a it was Sky Vineyard or a Sky Winery. I forget how exactly. Um, and in I knew exactly right away. Oh yeah, this is Wirtz Riesling. I can I mean I can tell by the color and aroma alone. Yeah, so you can take some older bottlings of, that Randall Graham has, has made. You can take the newer bottlings that uh, Bedrock makes in a very traditional kind of. Um, uh, you know, California new school, uh, old school way. Uh, and then you can all the way up to stuff like ours, it's skin fermented and there is always an underlying kind of oily, viscous sage, rosemary kind of note that is the common thread between all of these, uh, all of these bottlings, uh, which I think is fascinating. 11 to 12% alcohol. Is that generally the range? For the uh, birds, yeah, typically, yep. yeah. yeah, typically. Um, it'll be on the lower end for for twenty one. I think it came in at twenty point five bricks. All right, um, yeah. different different chemistry this year, though. I mean, it definitely pH was for for where for, for where um, bricks fell. I think pH was was a little higher than than previous. Um, mm. But yeah, again, it could be just it's yeah. it, you know well, yields, the, yields are down 50 percent so of course and then the smoke be. taint we were just talking about that before mm, we started mm-hmm. going we just right, right. i mean i mean it sounds like you're pretty well insulated from that but man mm. some people are going to lose everything but. yeah yeah it was a little different this year you know, the fires were in a different location so the and so the fuels were different um we even, even though so in 2020 we didn't have any wines that were affected by the smoke However, the smoke hung in the valley quite a bit, so um, just logistically for us, um, you know, stressing out about it and taking more samples and paying more attention, um, 2020 was much more challenging in terms of smoke, even though we didn't end up having any smoke-tainted wine. Uh, 2021, 
skies were pretty clear. We didn't really have to deal directly with any of that kind of stuff. However, one of the vineyards we're working with, which is a new vineyard for us uh, in Camino, at about three thousand feet of elevation, you know, is is um, was right up near the Calder Fire. And uh, despite the fact that the uh, analyses uh, came back looking pretty clean uh, from the laboratory, um, the wine is still there's definitely smoke taint mm. to it. It's, yeah, it's definitely there. It's not the worst I've encountered, but it's definitely smoky. It, it kind of expresses itself more as like eucalyptus than smoke, but huh. it's there because of the smoke. That's mm-hmm. that's the sm- that's the smoke yeah. taint. And it, it it didn't quite when we were uh, processing the fruit. It def- definitely didn't stick out quite. And that this, much. Is um, this is the Nebbiolo. Yeah, this is Nebbiolo yeah. from Camino. Yeah, yeah, and it, it didn't really show that kind of smoked meat barbecue smell until fermentation really kicked off, and then it was pretty obvious um but f- i mean now it's that hard it's, to tell early on you know yeah yeah and, and and even now sitting in tank for a couple of weeks um i mean it seems to have calmed down a little bit but it's still there but boy i mean when it's from did you do carbonic again on it or is it the, the nebbiolo we, no we de-stemmed mm-hmm. this yeah. one okay yeah yeah um interesting cool that, no, that that first run of Nebula, you did that carbonic, like man, yeah, yeah we make so, that too. It was so I, you still make okay, yeah, so we still make that. Though, yeah. That's that's a very I enjoy that wine a lot. Yeah, we were able to get more of that fruit. I guess I guess um, they had they didn't sell as much as they thought they would, and also yields were not as low as they thought they were either. Gotcha. So they warned me. They said you're going to be lucky to get what you're contracted for, and then. And then you know, a couple of weeks after we picked, they're like, "Hey, you know, there's actually some more out here if you want it." Mm-hmm. Sweet. I was like, uh, yes, I believe I do. Mm-hmm. And I, mind you, this vineyard too, they do have it cropped out pretty high um, for, um, especially for Nebbiolo being made in California. It's it's funny how heavy the crop is. So down, even down 50% <laughs> for how this vineyard crops out, s- still quite a bit of fruit out there. Gotcha. No, I, man, and the intensity. Yeah, hopefully mm-hmm. the smoke data isn't a problem because, yeah, that concentration uh, with, with the yields that low. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. It's going to be good. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, in terms of just some topics I wanted to hit off, I mean, yeah. Also, this is a platform if you want to rant about something. So I'm, I'm totally down with rants. <laughs> Maybe you might, might have something you want to get off your chest, you know? No. Jungian psychology, right? You have resentment. And then the way you get over the resentment is you have these things you're supposed to say. And then once you say them, like the weight goes off, right? Yeah, but I don't like to subject people to that. Fair enough. That kind of thing. I appreciate so, that. I just throwing it out there. Yeah, I, I also generally don't go on those. But I don't think I have any rants. That's good. Yeah, I really don't. Even if you were my therapist, I don't. Perfect. I, I would have Thank to really search for, for something to that rant is, about. That is great. <laughs> I just wish people would stop caring about sports so much. Oh, here we go. Snap. <laughs> I also cut all sports out of my life. Like, I used to care if attention to football, and then the NFL did some so many bullshit things that I actually started paying attention to, and then I had to... Yeah, I stopped playing fantasy. I stopped mm. watching. I don't watch any sports anymore. Yeah, I just have this weird thing where, uh, and I realized it about 10 years ago, maybe, is that I don't need to be entertained. It's like I'm with my thoughts or with people or figuring something out that I don't have time for entertainment. And after taking a look at it for a while, I realized, yeah, I, we canceled cable like 20 years ago mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't have Netflix or any of that stuff. Um, I still listen to music, but, and I don't think I've sat down 
and watched a professional sports event since the last century. And like my neighbor has on a sports talk radio or television or something. And it just, okay. So here's my rant, I guess. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that I'm just like, you know what guys, we, we don't know. I don't think anybody needs sports talk at all because they keep score. We'll find out who the better team is at the end of the fucking game. <laughs> okay? So you want to watch the game? Fantastic. You know, I used to like watching it too. But, you know, do we have to hear about it all goddamn day and night long on the television or whatever? I know. That's, that's. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, <laughs> there you sitting, go. There's your rant. Sitting on the Appreciate it. I love it. No, I, I'm right there with you on this. It's, um, it's one thing, yeah, hearing the, hearing the commentary. It gets pretty old to me after a while, but also when the only thing this guy seems to care about is, you know, uh, what's happening with the team outside of the game. I mean, I, I get it. Sure, if there's some crazy scandal going on, but I mean, we don't need to think about the politics of which team traded who because of some thing that they said that may or may not have. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. No, the, it's like a telenovela. It's like a soap opera for sure. No, it is, and they that's they that's how they they hook your interest. No, it, and 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 see, this is my problem too. At the same time, like history, right? We like history. Uh, no, bread and circuses, right? The Romans, like no, that's. Mm-hmm. It's the circuit. Yeah. The circuses now are more dangerous and complex and beautiful and phenomenal. Like I like video games. Yeah. Video games these days are stupidly good mm-hmm. and immersive mm-hmm. and just ridiculous. And I mean, even same the, the sports. I mean, same with food. Same with all yeah, these things yeah. that we're just distracting. And no, and the climate change and fear of death. I think are two mm-hmm. that uh are that we really get distracted away from with these things. It's funny sure. relating you know, talking about video games and climate change in the same subject. It's kind of funny that um I, I find the most immersive video games to be pretty. Pretty old. I don't know if you've ever played Dwarf Fortress. I have read um, a lot about Dwarf Fortress, and I never dove into playing it. it I've read about the two, the brothers, and like the whole. Like I've read. I I I really. They started coding this when they were in their teens or something back in you know the seventies. It's um, it's amazing story. Uh, They. I mean, it's. I've never played it. You play it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very complex, convoluted, and there's so much so much information that it's hardly a game. It's more of a simulation it's like take sim life but it add dwarves and dnd and just multiply it by 10 it is insane so in the one of the last worlds that i had i had built several fortresses sort uh, fortresses on um there was a massive change in climate due to volcanoes erupting on an, on an island outside of the mainland and so in my game here that i'm simulating dwarves one of their fortresses was completely flooded, and then I found just you know 200 miles up another fortress that was too close to a volcano. Mm-hmm. And because of this, you can sort of advance time by hundreds of years. And after those hundreds of years, populations of one species had died out to allow other species to come in. And yeah, I don't know. I've read no, and, and then accidentally they accidentally like this one of the f- craziest things. I think it was literally. Some animals were dying. I think oh, rats a, were dying. I remember this. It was cats. Cats was were cats. dying because they were spilling alcohol in the right, meat right. halls, and the cats were drinking it all and giving themselves alcohol poisoning and died, which is like an emergent <laughs> quality yeah, of the programming of the system. They, they didn't, didn't even know about that being part. They didn't intentionally add that. They just had parts of... So the cat was programmed to lick its paws and clean itself, but it also had in, in the code that alcohol is poisonous, so the cats... We're having a blood alcohol content so high that when they cleaned themselves because they were hanging out in a 
in a mead hall where dwarves they're dirty creatures they don't when they when they're done with their 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 mead or beer they just pitch it and walk out so <laughs> there's a bunch of alcohol on the ground so unintentionally they they coded this game so with so much detail that you know it wasn't a bug but it was reported as a bug like why are all these cats dying in my in my meat halls yeah it's 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 an insane amount and of these detail. brothers from what i've read not the most focused on monetization like oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. very very much <laughs> the uh, the, the, for the love of the game yeah. uh type programming which is amazing and i think they make enough money now they're making money. I mean, they're actually yeah, developing but for a, a long new version. time. There's, God, I've read about it. They were just starving. Basically, they were poor. Right, like, oh, yeah, just, yeah. There's a new version coming to Steam. Who knows when? I think they said time is relative, but they're they're adding a version to Steam that they're still coding now. But it makes it a little bit more approachable. It has a graphics system that I saw this, that. Yeah, this game it's is all alpha numeric, yeah, right? It's, it's just text. I mean, you can you can add tile sets and 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 add graphics to make it look a little bit more approachable. But I mean, I prefer playing it with just just ASCII characters. It's I mean, You're I feel like, I, yeah, I know. I feel You're like nerd. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, pure. No. And so, but no, but then watching, yeah, no, uh, climate change. Yeah. Watching your whole species get developed, yeah, uh, yeah. annihilated. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I've been playing <laughs> fallout four, so that's like post-apocalyptic, sure. you know? I, so that's have, another way it could go. I have uh, dreams the end. Of, of surviving in a post-apocalyptic land. I mean, I don't call them nightmares cause I don't, I don't consider any dream a nightmare anymore, but, um, Rick and Morty is great on this. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Post-apocalypse. No, in summer and everyone goes full Mad Max. Like that's one of my that's, that's one of my favorite one, yeah. favorite episodes of that show. I love that show. You guys laughed like you Rick and Morty. It's an amazing fans. show. I like I, it. Uh, yep. I mean, he's probably all about like maybe watch season one and two and kind of got bored. It, it Fair does, enough. It does. Yeah. You know, again, I just season watch, one yeah. for the novelty of it is just amazing. Like and all sure. there's all the sci-fi references and just all of it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Sweet. I don't make time for this kind of stuff, like no, I said. No, totally. But I, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate it. Oh, jeez, Rick! I don't, I don't, I don't know how to make wine anymore. We, Morty, <laughs> shut up! Just put the, put the fucking grapes in the bin and stomp on them, okay? I'm tired of your shit, Morty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you. I need no. That's this that needed that that needed to happen. Uh, also, uh, science, right? And that's the thing I like about working Morty is like if humans get enough science, we're just going to routinely blow up the planet. Yeah, like totally. You know, which we're seeing. In slow motion, kind Pretty of. Pretty much, yeah. But no, like how many times do they destroy the Earth? Do they have to move on to a new one? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, man, the way it messes, when, the way they mess with the meta in that show sure, yeah. is uh, sure. is phenomenal. Speaking of meta, I think uh, isn't isn't a major social media platform changing their name to Meta? Is this a thing? Is that, that the name? Is that what they came up with? I know, yeah, I know is. the 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 yeah the yes the yes yep yes Meta Meta yeah Zuckerberg's fiefdom we'll call it yes the company that is uh, zuckerberg's fiefdom. it is for the parent company though facebook is still going to be it's going to be facebook yeah yeah uh well they, they bought oculus uh you know back in the day like yeah. two billion dollars yeah, yeah. that was very prescient move to buy to get in that early um mm-hmm. i have i'm not i love reading about science fiction and i'm kind of a luddite myself personally like i don't have a vr rig in my house like i want one i thought about it for years and i just for some reason i don't have it but if it wasn't for the price i mean i would have one there the technology has grown so much over the past four three or four years that you know yeah the go i think the oculus go isn't that i read some really good things about that it was like 300 bucks but yeah no um no but it's gonna be well yeah god they're under they're really under siege on some level these huge companies but then i think maybe on some level the system is just set up to make us believe that they're under siege because mm. i don't know if you look at their profits and kind of what's actually happening in terms of action there are some antitrust things happening um mm-hmm. but yeah it's just 
much ado about nothing on some well just signaling sure. you know yeah. like i don't know yeah. where you guys yeah, stand yeah, yeah, on yeah. this but that's just what it seems to me yeah yeah Ag- i was hoping agreed. more from the uh for, from the for this new this new budget as well um from from the blue tribe but <laughs> i don't know stuff we don't have to get into this as well. This is uh, this is murky, murky waters. <laughs> uh, yeah, culture war shit. Maybe we shouldn't get a. Uh, maybe we shouldn't sure, go sure. there. I like I'm, my version of burying my head in the sand is just immersing myself in in wine and food, and I fully know it. So mm-hmm. Epicureanism, absolutely. Yeah, no, that one of my friends calls me an Epicurean doomer, and that's kind of what I am. Yeah, like, that's perfect. I, no, absolutely. No food, wine, music, friends, like things yep. like this. Mm-hmm. Like no, yep. we live in the golden age. Might as well celebrate it. Yeah. <laughs> While it's still going on. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> when they say life's too short for bad whatever, I mean, yeah. it's, it, it's more, makes more sense now than ever. Yeah. I know. And then the climate thing, though, my daughter's going to be 16. And it's just, yeah. I don't know. Mm. I can be, I, Epicureanism is great. And it's like, fuck, no, it's stressful, man. Very stressful. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Think, thinking about, I mean, you know, dad has mentioned this over the past few years that, you know, handing a, handing the business off to me, who knows what's going to happen to some of the vineyards we work with that are literally right on the Delta. I mean, who knows when it's my turn to hand off the business to, to my kids. If that ever, you know, if that ever does happen, are these vineyards even going to still be here? Are they going yep. to be underwater or, you know, are we going to have to buy property further up the hill? Uh, yeah. It's a thought, but a scary, <clears throat> a scary thought. Well, you know, by then all restaurants will be Taco Bell and all, all beverages will be white claw and yeah and all i mean college will be at costco it's thank you thank you demolition man <laughs> reference all, all restaurants are taco bell yes. <laughs> no love it no uh well that's interesting oh well there's two two more things actually uh quickly i want to touch on for you one one i remember talking to you uh before like covid was not we haven't closed down yet uh craig we were talking at urban roots and you talked about the price of glass going up that you're getting from china because mm-hmm. of the the sanctions mm-hmm. And now we're seeing this incredible, uh, whether you want to call it inflation or just scarcity due to uh, the global um, shipping yeah. kerfuffle that's happening right now. Yeah. Uh, what are you guys seeing in that? Because Alex mentioned like in terms of some of your costs, you're seeing those go up. Uh, it's mm-hmm. way worse now than it was yeah. pre-COVID. Yeah, it's way worse. Um, interesting things are happening. Um, we, we, we were still getting Chinese glass at that time, and that's strictly, you know, like we can't. You you can't get a ten dollar glass of wine at a restaurant, you know, unless you're in keg or you're using Chinese glass, basically. So to keep uh, you know those costs down, the bottle costs down. That's just what we were doing: screw mm-hmm. cap, Chinese glass, one label. Uh, you know, fruit is inexpensive as we can get it. Highest, you know, the highest quality for the dollar. And, um, and really killing ourselves to, you know, to get this done. So, cause we want this wine to over deliver, um, which I think it still does for the price. Um, but now with the supply chain issues, uh, and labor, um, there was a, the, the, actually some of the Chinese glass is more expensive than the French glass that we were, that we were getting. Oh, wow. Um, and the French glass is of much higher higher qualities. So for a while there, there was that going on. And now it's all impossible to get. So we switched to domestic, which I feel very good about, although I'm not as impressed with the quality of the bottles. Because I just, I'm sorry, I want, I want good packaging. And if we're going to 
we only make a couple thousand cases a year. And if we're going to be charging, you know, I don't think our wines are expensive, but a lot of, well, you know, most people who buy wine probably think that $35 is way too much for a bottle of white wine. Um, it's another issue, red wine versus white wine. And it's just so silly that whites are always expected to be so much cheaper than, than red wines when, you know, that's just a, a notion, nothing more than that. But, um, so now we're using domestic glass, but the dom- domestic glass, those folks can't keep up uh, with with the demand. So now that stuff is expensive. And then you have shipping costs where it, it doesn't really matter if it's coming on a container from somewhere overseas. Trucking is still yep. expensive here. So, you know, and what what we're seeing is, is that uh, also that if you, you know, if you want to get your wine into a bottle, Next year, you need to buy it now. And so this is what we're faced with. So all of the money that we set aside for packaging in Q1 or Q2, you know, those uh, that money comes from uh, income from the previous year, third or fourth quarter. Um, and... That that's that's you know that's that's what we're doing. That's what we're faced with now. Whereas before, if we needed to bottle something in March, we could we could wait until February. Yep, and all of that money isn't tied up in inventory. That's right. not earning a return for you. Right, right. So now we're not only, you know, and unlike bigger wineries, we uh, you know we pay our farmers first. Um, we don't have a couple people we work with are are give us terms where we split it into two into two payments. Um, but by and large, we we pay all of our because they're small. They're you know they're small farmers and they need they need to get paid. And I want to I, I want them to get paid. And so that's like n- number one on my priority list during harvest is to make sure that these guys are all paid in full, on time or early. Uh, so you and then at the same time, I'm faced with you know trying to scrape up money for packaging, which for the wines that I'm making now, which I'm not even going to start bottling for six more months. So it puts quite a, a quite a strain on a, on a small, on a small business like ours. So pretty, Alex, pretty thoughts? crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, it basically exactly what he said. It's just, you know, it's amazing, amazing to me to see a bottle um, that went from $7 a case to 14, $15 a case for, you know, our, our cheapest glass is now <laughs> as much as our, you know, more expensive glass uh, before. Um, so yeah, definitely makes makes things a little bit more tricky. <clears throat> um, planning ahead, just bite the bullet, make the down payment. So to secure the supply, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean, yep. oh man, and shipping wine direct to consumer also is uh, all, you know it was challenging pre COVID, and uh, it's even more challenging now because I mean, before lockdown, people didn't like paying for shipping, and now that all those costs are going up. People really don't like it. Amazon makes you think you're no. It's, uh, you forget you pay a hundred bucks a year for it, right, or whatever. And no, you're just like shipping should be free. No, but it's no, and it's going to get worse and worse and yep. worse. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And then FedEx just, um, I just got an email from FedEx a couple of weeks ago saying that they've contracted with a uh, an outfit that does compliance for direct to consumer shipping. Um, they're actually going to be using their service to track all of all of wine shipments through the FedEx um, system. Hmm. So, you know, we have to go, I mean, it's not that big of a deal to go through the process and 
you know, again, prove to them that we are a legit company selling a legit product to, you know. But it's just another another hoop we have to jump through, and it's just more control. Yep. You know, on their side, and yes, you know, more more legibility for the state on yeah, some level. Yeah, and you know no. that's and using that service is going to cost them, and guess who they're going to pass yeah, that a hundred percent. Well, no, just what you're talking about here. Um, I left Waterboy last month, uh, but I was talking to Rick uh, slightly before that, and he was talking to me about food costs going up, mm-hmm. and we had a similar thing, uh, or he was talking about it in terms of yeah, co- price of scallops that we've been using for years, basically doubling. From yep. one invoice to the next, the price of, I believe, Varona chocolate went up double. Mm. Like, literally, went in, they didn't even bother to send an email just to tell you. It's just the new invoice showed up, and it was twice as much. You yeah. know, I guess they're just, like, probably on some level, well, if you don't buy it, man, that's not a problem, because everybody mm. else wants this stuff, and now right. we're having problems. But right. bread flour, I believe, also, uh, 80%, 90%, 100%. Uh, uh, yeah. And this is one of the problems with, for uh, I think it's the CPI, right, the Consumer Price Index? That doesn't take food inflation into account. Like, hmm. they ignored that in the numbers, which... I didn't know that. Yeah, it's kind of terrifying. Because um, there would be too many swings then, and people would be too afraid. So, but yeah, from what I understand, uh, and yeah, if you're seeing 100% increase in the price of food, and that isn't put into the official inflation numbers, that makes yeah, well, me well, like nervous. Like a, yeah, and this is how all restaurants become Taco Bell. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, you well, know, that was the other thing. I mean, what this do you? Is what we're seeing. That's what I wanted to talk to you about because ghost kitchens, I think, is going to be one of the ways that that happens. Like all restaurants becoming Taco Bell, except it's yeah. a, a ghost kitchen. So you guys familiar with this with this mm-hmm. name? Yeah, a shipping container drops someplace, right? You have one or two guests per uh, people working, maybe, and it's 100 percent delivery. Mm-hmm. So you have no on premise costs like bathrooms, toilet paper, insurance, like all of that. It's right. just literally right one or two people, a kitchen, and people pull up and drive and deliver. I think that's gonna really erode the bottom end of the market. Like even Chipotle, McDonald's, like these mm-hmm. types of things. Because uh, yeah. even there if you have to have I mean, unless they go to robots, which they probably will, um, not to be dystopian and weird about all this, but well, there's I already mean, robots working I mean, in restaurants. Coming. Yeah, no, I mean, it absolutely is. I mean, that's coming. No, I'm terrified. And then how are we going to make the jump to um, um, universal income yes. if people don't even want to, you know, uh, give unemployed people benef- benefits? You know, I mean, how the fuck are we going to do that? Yep. If we still have the attitude, oh, if you're a lazy bum, if you're not working, you can't live. You're going to have to die under a bridge somewhere. Yes. So no, it's getting... What happens when robots have all those jobs? What, you know, <laughs> just historically, fuck everybody? Yeah, historically, <laughs> unemployment at that scale and all of that, like often... If you add, if you add famine, uh, revolution is actually... Uh, what happens but yep. you got to have the 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 climate induced famine before it goes to revolution mm-hmm. but that historically that's usually yep. that's usually yeah the arab spring was actually about the price of bread mm-hmm. going up like 100 200% actually and not so much about love for democracy but you know right. it is it is what it is but no, I'm I'm worried about the ghost kitchens. I think I, obviously the one percent will have money. So I think that I'm seeing top end restaurants in town being fairly busy. The ones that survived the purge, the COVID restaurant purge, right? Because like half of them, half of restaurants yeah, went down. So everything, so wine is going to be even more of a luxury good. Yeah, that's what it's looking like. If food's going to cost, you know, twenty, thirty, forty percent more, and wine's going to cost that much too, and then inflation on top of that. Like, yeah, no, I'm. Yep. I don't know. I'm worried. I'm. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah, it's. Uh, but you sell. I mean, you're pretty diversified, right? You sell wine in New York, uh, also California, some places in the Midwest. Yeah, we're Oregon, Washington, California, uh, Oklahoma, Illinois, Vermont, Maine, 
DC, Massachusetts, New York. Sweet. That's a great, that's a great spread. Yeah. So what's good for us is, you know, we only have a couple thousand cases to sell. So it, you know, we're, we're sold out uh, pretty much on, on release. And that gives us some breathing room to continue to build our wine club and our, and our mailing list. And it also means that I think that we're going to be able to raise our prices sufficiently. So, you know, for instance, if I have a hundred cases of something and I only have one market, you know, that, that bottle is going to have to be a lot cheaper, um, lower cost for them to, to move as many units. But if we're spreading those hundred cases in 10 different markets, then they only have to buy 10 cases for each, yep. each market. And mm-hmm. therefore we can increase our price. And that's just what, you know, that's just what, that's going to be the solution, partial solution for us. And that's just the way it has to be. Sorry, guys. It's going to be a $40 bottle of white wine. Uh, yeah. Well, <clears throat> I'm yeah. not going to be able to afford to drink my own wine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that I barely... why we drink a lot of beer making wine? Isn't that why we drink? Isn't that why it takes a lot of beer? It takes a lot of good beer to make yep, good wine? Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. No. Anyway, yeah, oh, it's, it's crazy. It's it's yeah, it's it's very um Yeah, I mean the future doesn't doesn't look good um for yeah. all of our egalitarian efforts are evaporating very quickly. Yes. Yeah, for yeah, no, uh no, nine eleven, definitely the beginning of that on some level for this new area, and then uh here we are. Yeah, no, the COVID things uh no uh Public health is very, very, very important, and also civil liberties, you know, the Constitution. Very, very, very important. I think both are important, you know. I think crazy people want to focus you on one or the other, but they yeah. don't have to be, Yeah, well, it's, it's you know? interesting, too. I mean, some one benefit of, of lockdown f- for me has been, uh, you know, I get, to, I get to know my neighbors my neighbors a lot more. Because things are closed down, there's, you know, people are building um, little, uh, you know, entertain, uh, like patios and stuff in their front in their front yard so that they can... Spend time with neighbors. I love that. Yeah, and so it's great. And so at the beginning, you know, it's like, oh my god, we have to wear a mask. We got to stay twenty feet apart, but we're going to still do it. And now that things are a little bit, we're all vaccinated and things are better. It's like less, you know, it's more comfortable to hang out. But people are still hanging out in their front yard. And my neighbors all are out there drinking wine, eating cheese, and you know, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll spend some time with them. And you know, these things we're talking about now are frequently topics of conversation. And you know, I don't know my neighbors that well, and my next door neighbor was asking me, you know, like what, you know, what he thinks, you know, uh, we should be doing it as individuals to not make things worse or to make things better. And he's, uh, I'm Gen X. He's a a baby boomer. And, uh, when I told him that I don't go to big box stores and I've been doing this for over 20 years, I told him if I can't walk into the back room, and see the owner, they don't get my money. And I've I've been doing that religiously for over twenty years. And his mind was blown. He was just like, no Home Depot, I'm like, nope, There's no, no fast food, like, nope, no fast food. Sorry, I don't eat it. It's better for me physically, and I'm not supporting. I'm not being part of the problem. And I, I understand that a lot of folks can't do that. Some people, the only way they can get calories into their bodies are to go through the drive-through. Yep. That's fucked up. It, and it I, is. And I know that that's the way that it is, but I, I'm, I don't have to do it. I'm so I'm not going to, I don't participate in it. 
And people think, you know, 20 years ago, people thought I was crazy. People probably still think I'm a little nutty for being so adamant about that. But, yeah. you know, I don't really care what they think. I mean, it, it's amazing to me how many how many people also don't really cook their own food at home. Um, I mean, it's a daily ritual. Seven days a week, you're you're cooking, which is walking down to the local market, uh, just enough ingredients to make dinner, and then that's that's dinner. But it does amaze me how how many people spend a lot on door dashing or, you know, again, yeah, fast food, um, just to you know, just for food. I mean, I I, I find. Dinner should be something you're enjoying, not just getting sustenance, um, which is just kind of a big thing. Yeah. A, a lot of people don't really see food as something to enjoy. It's just sort of just, you know. It's fuel. It's fuel. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because it doesn't have to be that way. You, you don't you don't have to be wealthy by any means to, uh, you know, to enjoy delicious food. You know. No, and especially if you're willing to forego meat most of the time, then you then your cost food cost really goes yeah. down. Yeah, for sure. For no, sure. It's but, I mean, we and this is just how my wife and I have raised our kids, just daily shopping and daily cooking, and, you know, it's nothing new for them. But I think my daughter, actually, she, when she discovered McDonald's, I think she was in high school, and there was a period of time where, she, you know, it was this new thing. I don't, you know, I don't like the forbidden fruit thing, and this is one of the mm-hmm. parts where that kind of backfires on me. You know, like with, um, with content on television or music or foul language or alcohol and other vices like that, you know, I'm, I was never feeding my kids those things, but they definitely were not like off limits. Yep. You know, like if one of my kids want, if I was drinking a beer with dinner, I would get a little shot glass and pour them half of a shot of beer and they could taste it. And if, you know, if they wanted to try the wine, I would dilute it with some water and let them check that out. Um, and you know, uh, they seem to be pretty well adjusted as adults in terms of consuming these um, these things. However, we kind of drew the line with, with fast food and mass-produced foods and stuff like that. So, you know, like I said, my daughter for a while, but but she's now she's vegan. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's because we brought her up in a certain way. We certainly didn't bring, did not bring her up to be vegan, but... Um, you know, I think I would like to think that responsible eating and your decisions on where you get your food. I, I think uh, hopefully that we're partially responsible for. Yeah, and the and the that. ethics of the ethics of animal welfare on our food systems are mm-hmm. are more. I'd, I'd say more people are paying attention to that yeah, now definitely. than back in the definitely. past. Which I think yeah. you know again like um, anti meat. I mean, I, I understand where 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 vegan vegetarian are coming from when it comes to animal rights, cruelty, that kind of thing. But when it come when it comes to <clears throat> when it comes to eating meat, especially say if you go to Taylor's Market or Cordy Brothers, where it's a legit butcher shop and they're buying meat from a small local farm, is a way different product than than you know going to a, a fucking Walmart and getting um, two ninety nine burger. Sometimes. Yeah, that's like seventy five percent. Yeah, no, it it, it absolutely yeah. is one hundred. And oh, also, as, also as we we're talking about earlier about the food, about food cost. I mean, this is just a terrible thing for people who eat food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because here we are trying to trying to educate people about food and where they come, where it comes from, et cetera, et cetera. And now we've just priced them out of that. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I'm just kind of. Uh, lucky and mildly surprised, my my girlfriend and I went to Taylor's Market uh, a couple weeks ago. She had never been to Taylor's Market, um, you know. And that's our neighborhood in, store. We pretty Arden. much we pretty yeah. much do all our shopping. And, there. and I worked at the restaurant for a year and a half. I right, ran the right. front of the house. So yeah, no, I love right. I I love the market is phenomenal. Sure, sure. They do a great job. And so most you know most of our grocery shopping uh, is Rayleigh's uh, or a Safeway. 
something like that. I mean, it's, it's not too bad, but still, um, you know, it's a supermarket. But she had never been to Taylor's, and we're at the deli getting getting lunch stuff. Um, we're just going to make some sandwiches, just, you know, uh, turkey Swiss bread. I hope I hope Mitch and Paul were there, and you gave them both the finger because they. I think Paul was there. Yeah. Yeah. No, Paul. Paul loves that. Um, (laughs) But she's like looking at all the stuff, and you know, in in the meat counter, and she's like, "Oh, oh, wow, this is really well priced. These sausages are really well priced. Sexy, sexy. Holy shit! I'm used to hearing Jesus. Those are expensive sausages. (laughs) Um, Nice. So. Okay, good. Yeah, maybe we could just make the trip down here to do our grocery shopping. If we can grocery shop here, I would much prefer that than, yeah. than Rayleigh's. And no more Dick's Picks. It's the end of an era. <laughs> no more Dick's Picks. It's true. That's Keith, Fer- Keith Fergal, though, I, I do appreciate Keith Fergal uh, on the wine side. So oh, I think, for sure. I think and, it's moving from strength to strength, oh, actually. Sure, sure. Well, Sarah's in the wine department as Is well. Is she? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. That's right, of course. Milstein. Yeah. Absolutely. No. And no, I'm sure... They're going to do a great job. Yeah. So already are, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sweet. Well, guys, this has been real. Sure. This has been as fun. Any, any, Likewise. any closing words or anything else that we missed that we should have uh, brought to the fore? I don't know. No. Um, I don't think so. I would just say. Uh, also, where where can, where can you where can the people find your brand? Actually, that that is something I should I we really uh, should get out there. Fortunately, we're we're very well represented in the town. So, yep. you know, uh, retail-wise, there's Beyond Napa, Cordy Brothers, Taylor's Market. Um, and you're still at Chambers, right? We're still at Chambers yep. and Chambers. No, Jamie is, Jamie, yep. I'm sure. Jamie, is, Jamie um, is great. She's moving a lot of wine for us. Thank you, Jamie. And, uh, you know, Rochambeau, Nico, Good News, uh, and then for restaurants, you know, uh, both of Rick's restaurants, Waterboy, One Speed. We do the House White at One Speed. Um, Selens, I see the same Ray. Selens, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Selens sells mm-hmm. a, a yeah. <coughs> I buy, I bought, yeah, the Broadway one. A friend lives near there, and that's our ah, go-to sure. bottle when, yeah, we, yeah, when bike, we cruise over yeah, there. No, bike Dog Broadway. Yeah, they're great supporters. Yeah, so Bike Dog has it as well. Like I said, we're working on another project for um, Urban Roots. Uh, Sweet. Magpie Cafe, we're doing both Magpie, we house, do. Yep. house Red, House White. We do House sure. Wines for them. Uh, God, all this makes me so happy. Uh, Missoula Pizza, Robert is a great supporter as well. Ed at Magpie. Oh, yep. yeah, we just said Magpie. Yep. Um, and Janelle, hi Janelle. Um, yeah, so. Sweet. Many places. Many uh, places. Uh, yeah, and I remember five, six years ago, it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was different. All of our wine was going into totally different markets. Yep. Bay Area, East Coast, and now... Um, you know, we're very happy to have the support of our uh, ah, friends. You guys and deserve uh, the hometown love for sure. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, Alex Craig, it's been awesome. Yeah, this thank is, you, sir. Uh, yeah, no, and this is a restaurant industry professional podcast. R.I.P. This is the second one. So awesome. No, I'm. Thanks man, for coming by. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm. It's not going to be as long until I uh, am in this awesome building again. So <laughs> I love it here. Sure, sure. Excellent. And the backyard, uh, God, has so much potential. It's such a beautiful yeah, space. Uh, hopefully. You know, come spring, we'll get it much more cleaned up. So maybe by next year, we'll have some some sort of event back there. But uh, I love this plan. Cool. All right, guys. Uh, yeah. Happy October. Right. <laughs> we'll awesome. see you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks.